Today in the podcast, I have a lovely lady by the name of Catriona Evans, and she comes from Northern Ireland, and she's a huge story to tell. Now, on her Facebook page, I'll just read the quote here. She says on her Facebook page, you are not your circumstance, you are experiencing them. Just because you stand in the middle of a hula hoop, it doesn't make you part of it. And that is really what your story is about. It encapsulates it very well. You've been through a lot of adversity and everything. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's really good to be here. Now, I discovered you last year when you were in the process of writing a book. And now the book has been released and it's available on Amazon. It's available at your website over at, can you, your website is beingvulnerable.co.uk. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, and it's also available on Amazon, both paperback and Kindle. So can you tell us the title of the book, what the book is about, and just introduce yourself? Yes, so the book is called Being Vulnerable, Victim to Victor. Really important part about the Being Vulnerable is the ABLE capitals. Right. So Being Vulnerable, Victim to Victor, and gosh, it's been described as a self-help book, but I see it more as a self-love, growth and development book of a hybrid really yeah. <laughs> so rather than a self-help book with you know the theories it's from a, a personal angle uses my experiences so that people can actually resonate with them it's got then the lessons I've learned and tools and techniques that I use to I suppose transfer or transform myself from a victim to a victor yeah Okay, and you, I mean, you've been through a lot of circumstances, you know, adversities in life, which you've transformed yourself and transcended. Can you tell us about some of the things that you've been through that you've learned these lessons from? Yeah, well, that's sort of how the book came about. It was uh, initially a sort of a cathartic process. And people had said, oh, yes, you should write a book. Because, do you know, when you're networking and it's going and you're, building your relationships and things, chatting away. And then you see how you can collaborate and things. Well, I'm doing all this and inside I'm comparing myself to all these people. Doesn't matter how long they've been in business for, you know, it could be 10 years and obviously above me, didn't matter. I'm now comparing myself. And the only, the only real parts of my story that I shared about who I was tended to be the more negative things. And because I could not say until I was early, mid-40s, mid I love myself and who I am, everything seemed to hark back to the more negative experiences. And I never really had a, a good word to say about me and who I am. So eventually, a lot of people said this about the book, and I thought, well, okay, could be cathartic for me. You know, I started to, and after a while, obviously, Mentally speaking, I wasn't ready to do it. And then after a cancer diagnosis in 2014, uh, my focus was, was to bake because that had always been a passion of mine. I enjoyed doing it, it was relaxing. And I baked for Britain. Uh, finally thought, I can't bake anymore. You know, in my head, it should have been a real showstopper thing, you know, when I'd only been doing it for seven months or something yeah. so that wasn't good enough so I was like right okay I'll teach myself to make chocolates as well I taught myself to make chocolates taught myself to make fudge and they were really really good people were buying them and then it's like you should open a business other people saying this and I was like well why not because everything after cancer was why not 
because I got the second chance. Yeah. And it occurred to me recently that actually I did that because other, other people thought it would be a good idea. Okay. Although, I, although actually there was another reason I did it was because it was to do a good job for me. You know, I've, I've done a good job for other people as a classroom assistant, as a nursery assistant, but I want to do something for me. Mm. And then this just turned into a business which all that joy, that relaxation, out the window. Just, yeah. I couldn't wait to see chocolates, fudge, all the rest of it, leave through the front door. Didn't matter that fudge was selling like mad. People were ordering left, right and centre. Yeah. So, so I don't want to do this anymore. And it took a, actually a, a really good mentor, Pat Slattery, said, right, okay, I want you to look back on your life as if it's a movie. From the age of 98, was your life fulfilled? Did you live to your past potential? Did you fulfill your purpose? And I came back with a huge resounding beep. No, I didn't. You know, it was just yeah. no. But I knew exactly because I... I'd known, deep down, I'd known what I wanted to do, which is speaking and to write a book. Okay. Not just for being cathartic, but to help others. Okay. So your burning passion really is to help others. Yeah. So that's all how the, the book came about. Okay. And when you dig back into your years before the book came out, you had your cancer experience, we'll call it that. Yeah. But you also suffered from serious depression, I understand. Looking at your yeah, yeah, I did. Um, it was like cancer was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, yeah. And as it turned out, uh, cancer didn't knock me into depression or anxiety. It just opened the floodgates and all this backlog of emotions that I had refused to feel, refused to deal with, they all came flooding out and yeah. it's too much for my head to cope with and, and where, I, where do you think this depression anxiety stemmed from was it something in childhood was it a traumatic experience that you had in years gone by from the age of 11 i in hindsight i can say i chose to follow the role of the victim it was easier to tell myself i was a victim because of epilepsy because oh, you had epilepsy yeah, and, and it was easier for me to say, yeah, you do that for me, because I can't, for me, you just can't do that. It was easier to fall into that role and not have to face things or feel the things. Okay. You know, experiences then later on in relationships then, that would probably in today's society be labelled abusive, but I don't see myself as abused. I. I think it was a toxic relationship and I was in the wrong place, wrong time, wrong person. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was that was also a lot of things that were all dealt with. Um, and just as time went on, um, my, the unhealthy coping mechanisms I had during and after cancer, all this compounded. And I had lived in the role of a victim for so long I'd become comfortable there. Right, yeah. So you really were living a lesser version of your potential, really. I mean, oh, totally. Without a doubt, totally, without a doubt. Absolutely. So you got through the cancer situation, you're living the victimized life, I'll say. Yeah. What did you do to transcend that? What steps 
did you start to take to help you transcend that and break through that whole threshold of, I won't call it self-mutilation, mentally speaking, but like it, it seems like that, that you were like, you just didn't love yourself, you weren't comfortable with yourself. Like, how did you transcend all that? You're quite right. I, I never loved myself until I was in my 40s, yeah. mid-40s. It was not a, a huge, big lightning bolt moment. It's not one I could really pinpoint. I suppose it's more of a, a curve in my journey rather than a turning point. I uh, was vulnerable. And that's why the book's called Being Vulnerable. With and a when you say label. you were vulnerable, does that mean you started to speak about what you were feeling? I opened up and I allowed my family in. Uh, I told them how low things had got because I was in a very dark place. Um, when I did that, I was given another choice because we always have a choice. And I was ended up in this uh, place where I could say, I'm not okay, which I did. Mm. Told them how bad things had got. Now then my choice was, I can grow from here or I can get comfortable in another, another victim's role. Yeah. And I chose to grow and become teachable and was not easy, <laughs> really not easy. Yeah. But I found different ways of coping. And whilst I believe there are things that you know, right, okay, for maybe two years, there'll be a particular technique that will help you the most. As you change, then so will the technique that helps you the most. But one that has yeah. stayed, the one that stayed with me, apart from. Just, just changing my mindset to an attitude of gratitude and things. I needed to extend that more, not just the attitude of gratitude. I needed to change how I labeled situations. Mm -hmm. I needed to change how I saw myself in a situation and basically see silver linings, to put it really yeah. in the most basic way. Mm. Um, what one example says made up would be uh, back road and over. It's pouring, your car breaks down, puncture, no battery left in your phone, you're stuck, everything is beat. Mm -hmm. And you can see that as the worst thing in the world to top it all. Your AA membership ran out anyway, and your children are now going to be late in childcare and you'd pay extra. So is it the worst thing that's happened? Is there no silver lining? It's not the worst thing at all. You've got a little bit of battery left, so you send the smallest text ever, you know, all the little yous instead of why are you, everything, to your mum. Happy days, she'll pick the boys up. Don't need to pay extra. Well, that's a few minutes. Sure, it's just a couple of minutes. So it's not that bad. She was able then to come and pick you up. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't the end of the world. And all of a sudden you see a little bit of positive there. That's a silly example, really. But every single situation you find yourself in, you, you can choose how to label that. Mm. I choose to see myself. Um, yeah, I'm a lifelong meds, but I choose to see that as seriously lucky because the medication's free. If I didn't have it, I would be having countless seizures. If I didn't have it, there'd be a huge chance of the cancer coming back. And I would be even more reliant. I wouldn't have 
the choices I wouldn't see them mm. either so I think that whole perception that how you choose to label a situation is huge it's it's something I think it's like research says like three thirty-five thousand choices an adult will make a day roughly Thirty-five thousand. Yeah. Choices. My goodness. Yeah. If you think of, you know, ah, uh, just decided I'll go and do X, Y, Z. That was a choice. Yes. Yeah. You know, so they are really, really important. And when we choose to do something, say, hit the alarm, or sorry, the alarm goes off, you hit snooze. That tends to become a habit. Yes. If you think about it, a lot of our choices become habitual. So it's really important to look at them and think, why am I making this choice? And another thing that's striking me as well is your environment. So did you make any changes on your environment? You know, like the people who you were around, for example, or maybe how your house is or, you know, just simple things. Did you make any changes yeah. that way? Yeah, little simple things, like you say. Um, I have amazing, amazing family, yeah. amazing friends. They're just really, really blessed I am. Yeah. But I thought to myself, do you know what? I'm not going to speak to my family about certain things. They don't get it. Yeah. And that's fine. Nobody, it doesn't matter, you know, if they don't get something, that's fine. And if I found it was easier not to speak to them about it because they were kind of hesitant about it. My mum had said, you know, I was really worried about you writing a book because you might get trolls. And I said, well, so what if I do? I just won't read the reviews or whatever. You can get trolls anyway. Yes. So I said, that's it's no big thing. But rather than speak to her about the book or tell her lots of different things, I chose not to. Made things more simple for me. Didn't do anybody any harm. Uh, friends, some friends I have, and they are the most amazing people. I love them to pieces. Yeah. However, there's also the fact that they can be so negative. Mm -hmm. And I found that that will totally suck me in. That's something I write about in the book. And... I thought, right, I need to have a boundary about how much time I spend with them because I don't believe in cutting people out of your life unless it's necessary. Yes, everybody's valuable. Yeah. And I, there are some relationships I value hugely, hugely, but I'm aware that there are times where I, say, I need to limit my time there. Mm -hmm. you protect know, yourself. Protect exactly. Yourself. Yeah, protect exactly. your mental health as it were. Um, I'm just wondering, um, what, you know, if somebody's kind of, in the place that you were in experiencing depression or they've had some failure and it, it's gone into themselves. Like I think in the music world, this is a Music Secrets Exposed podcast. So for example, in the yeah. music world, you could have somebody who stands up on stage and it doesn't go good. And mm -hmm. then they get off stage and the self-incrimination you know, incrimination starts and they're thinking, oh my goodness, I can't deal with this. I'm gonna hide away now. I can't, oh, I can never get up there again. Oh, it's terrible. From your experience, how would you cope with something like that to not allow it to develop into this big thing? I think if you like it to go and do an interview, and in that interview, and I've been there, it's like, God, I just want to get out of this room, just let me go, please. Yeah. And when I was told I didn't get it, I turned around and said, listen, I wouldn't have given it to me. Don't worry about it. But the thing was, I came out of that, and I was like, the list of things I learned from it, Okay. So if gone out and you stood on that stage, I said, Do you know what? Fair play to you. You went out, you stood on that stage. Okay, maybe you froze or you forgot the words. I'm not a singer. You know, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever it was, your thing is. Yeah. You went up there 
and you gave it a go and now you've come off armed with some knowledge of where you went wrong and how you might be able to fix that and so you can go and you can right okay take that knowledge away try again probably a bit better but maybe a few more mistakes few mistakes so you go away you've got more knowledge to build on Mm -hmm. and you keep doing that and you build the confidence you build the capabilities and always bank those moments I can never take compliments I call them bus moments bank those moments bank the bus moments and if you're feeling really down go empty the jar whatever you keep your bus moments in read them yeah yeah and I mean how do you handle depression because very often in people's lives when I've heard stories about depression it's a reoccurring I suppose emotion that can tend to come back and haunt a person and have you been able to kind of just stop that from happening through your transcendence from everything you've been through? I know a lot of people ask me over time, does it go away? Yeah. And I didn't want to say to them, no, because I thought, oh, goodness, they're, they're asking because their wife has depression or whatever, and they're desperately wanting to hear the answer. Yeah, it stops. Mm. But what I now realise is you, you can't, you can't tell that just so they'll feel better. You have to say it how it is, and basically it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. You learn, like I say, to relabel situations, reframe them. You do grow and develop, and it gives you tools, and you do develop more habits mm-hmm. that sort of compound your ability to go through the day and not be affected by it. Yeah. But there are days, and I'll come back. And do, you, do you think, just to dig a bit deeper into this, do you think that depression returns because maybe you're not living in your passion every moment of each day because maybe it's impossible to do that because of practical circumstances? Or do you think if you're leading a purposeful life that that's one of the ways that you can kind of shift depression to the side more and more, as it were? Yeah, that last part, yeah, pretty much. I think, you know, through having that passion, and that drive and that building momentum because you're doing something you love, that is really, really important. You know, when you're looking at that and you're focusing on that and your vibrations are high because of everything you're doing, it's hard to be depressed. Yeah, it is. You and know? I mean, I think from what I've seen as well, it's such a great solution. At it, and I think if you can get this as a young person even, to get somebody who's older than you that understands this message about purposeful living and passion and trying to figure out, well, what type of personality have you? What is your best suited position in life in a sense? You know, what, what makes you tick and start looking at that and becoming more and more aware of it as you grow, develop, expand into yeah. new realms of understanding? Would you recommend that? I think that would be fab. I also think that people need to know that, um, a bit like when someone says, what are your values? You could say, what are your values? And you say, you know, friends, family, honesty, integrity. You could ask that a few months down the line and that will have changed. Yes. In the same way that your passions might change over time. It's it's okay not to absolutely love the same thing all the time. You know, it's okay not to know what you want to do when you leave school. And I think kids need to know that because my boy, he put so much pressure on himself. And I got really worried. 
Yeah, I, I can attest to that even in my own life that, you know, I remember yeah. leaving school, I literally hadn't a clue where to go. I think it was yeah. overwhelming, actually. It was a completely overwhelming situation. It is, and that's why I think, like you say, it would be really good for, say, schools to have people come in and just chat. And I think it's important that they know that they come in just to chat. and It's holding a space for the kids as well. It's not mm. judging them. It's yes. not saying you have to have an answer for me. Mm. You know, it's very much about them, their feelings. And you, you need to make sure kids know your feelings are valid. Yes. It doesn't matter. They, As a 10-year-old, maybe it's, oh, my God, what if I have to go out and, you know, spend time with granny? I want to be going somewhere else, you know. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter the size. It's an emotion mm. inside this small person. And it is totally valid. Yeah. Just having a listening ear and validating their experience. Yeah. And you mentioned there when you started speaking first in this interview about you were into confectionery and cake making and that kind of thing. Yeah. How do you value creativity as a solution for getting through tough circumstances and adversity? Because when I look at the music world, it's a very creative world, very challenging yeah. world these days, but very creative. Like, how do you value creativity as a solution? Hugely, hugely, because you get this massive sense of achievement. You know, yeah. music, well, for me, music really lifts my vibration. When I'm baking, everybody else gone, all anything, thoughts gone. I'm thinking about how many eggs to put in. I'm listening to Guardians of the Galaxy music. I'm dancing around the, around the kitchen like a mad thing. Has, you know, it really does wonders for you. It, yeah. it just lifts you and it's very hard. Like I've said before, it's very hard to sit and dwell on all the crap that's happening in your life or... Yeah you know, all the things that you maybe were worrying about that day. When you are creating something that's making you feel really good about yourself, it's it's just um, really cathartic. Mm. Yeah. And how do you handle criticism? Because that's another aspect to this whole story that some people, like if they have a public persona, you hear stories there of, you know, big name celebrities, for example, get masses of criticism and it does affect yeah. them privately. It really affects them. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, from your point of view, how have you learned to handle criticism? You know, particularly like your mum said, putting stuff out in line, oh, you could get trolls after you and all yeah. this kind of thing. How have you learned to handle that? Boundaries. I've learned to sort of say, Do you know what, fair enough, you don't like it. That's grand. Yeah. And it's nothing to do with me. So you've learned that they're expressing yeah. their opinion, which is not to be personalised by you, basically. Yeah. We all have an opinion. Everybody's opinion is valid. But I don't need to accept someone's opinion as right or wrong. It's just yeah. their opinion, fact, valid. Mm. And I will have my own opinion, whether it agrees or disagrees. And, you know, we're surrounded by social media, mainstream media. Some people call it paid advertising, meaning all the mainstream media outlets I won't even go further with that now, but you get the meaning. How do you manage that in your life? Because we're surrounded that with newspapers. When we go out to the shop, you'll see magazines, you know, you'll turn on the radio, there'll yeah. be news related to something that's negative and all this. How do you handle all that? Sylvia, I don't watch TV. I don't, I don't watch the news. I don't, I don't either, actually. <laughs> I don't turn Thumbs the TV up. on until, well, my husband comes home. Yeah. He'll put the TV on. News comes on, I leave the room or I read a book. 
if I say a thread on Facebook, I'll say, why would you even say that? Why just not just say nothing? Well, that's like, right, okay, I just come out of that. If I don't, I just, I'd rather not be on yeah. Facebook promoting my business. Mm. And I've got to keep saying this negative stuff. Mm. You know, the radio goes on, the radio goes on to Planet Rock or or my own music on the uh, Spotify. So yeah. I avoid, avoid things that are going to have those negative connotations. And if I find them there, I remove myself from that situation. Yeah, so you're really protecting your mind, you're protecting your environment, you're yeah. protecting what you're listening to, protecting yourself from the people around you as well when yeah. it goes a bit south, if you get my meaning. Yeah. Um, what has created the most impact in your life at this point now? You've learned a lot, you've transcended a lot, you've transcended uh -huh. depression, you epilepsy, you know, anxiousness, cancer. I mean, you've transcended a lot. So what has created the yeah. most impact? Um, it is sort of a, a compound one, really. Um, vulnerability was huge, huge. By opening up and saying, I'm not okay, that was when I had the ability to choose to grow. Mm. And then the support of my family and friends. I, just, I don't think I could pinpoint one thing and say that's what it's down to. Okay. The support of family and friends, choosing to be teachable and going to coaching choosing to put myself out there and really just risk it despite all the sort of the what ifs and oh my goodness I'll be judged all those fears that you just have to do it you have to do it and you have to change your mindset how you are looking at things yeah it's hard to, so it's it's hard about to your perception yeah it's it about is. perception if you were to summarize it it's how you perceive things around you and and all of that and what is the best tool that you choose to use you know when we think about tools we might say okay it's the attitude of gratitude it might be yeah. doing some form of exercise even to just burn off that excess kind of stuff yeah. that happens in the body um what's the, best the, one, tool you choose to use? the tool that helped me most was to write down the situation and then rewrite it with Yet, like, I couldn't leave the house for five years. I can't leave the house we'll go to. I can't leave the house yet. Then that will be, I can leave the house now because I had a friend, we went for a walk and I built that up so that I could leave the house for five minutes. Then for 10 minutes, you know, I used that reframing technique a lot and it got to the stage where I could just do it in my head. Okay. So that was, I think that that's the one that really has made the biggest impact. Yeah, really reframing things, how you see them. Okay. Yeah. And what is the number one growth tip you've discovered? Now, when I speak about growth tip, I'm thinking, is there something that you do every day? Is there some technique you use every day? It could be meditation. It could be, yeah. you know, is there something you use every day that really helps you to grow? I do a lot of meditation and I like to do journaling as well. Like journaling is hugely important. If you get it out, your, out onto a piece, a piece of paper, you know, or even if you, if you haven't time to journal, talk to your dog. It's out of your head. 
Yes. You know, get it out. I can't agree yeah. more. Yeah, totally. Just get it out. Yeah. So, uh, journaling. But I think if you meditate, then you journal. You're mm-hmm. journaling with a more more a clear head. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'd say about journaling also is when I look back at my journals when I was ill, it was so negative, and I had the same thoughts going round and round and round. So every page was negative. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think it's important to gauge where you are at. Are you ready to write down? And if you could only think of three things to say that are positive. You're on your way. Leave it at that. That's fine. Mm. You know? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Right. Meditate, journal. And when I found I was a place, really bad place, couldn't leave the house, it was the baking that helped focus me, you know, have a clear mind mm. and just to raise my vibrations. So find something that brings you joy. Okay. That's a great thing. Great yeah, thing. Whatever that is, it could be music, it could be something creative, it yeah. could be whatever that is for you. And just the last question before we complete this interview. Somebody listening to this episode could be a young person starting out in some pathway, or it could be somebody our own age, for example, or even older. What piece of advice would you give them from everything that you've learned and been through? Be open and honest with yourself okay. and stay true to who you are. Live, a, live an authentic life. Yeah, it's a common phrase I hear, you know, across self-help at the moment is this word authentic. Yeah. Being authentic. A lot of people are, you know, clicking into that now these days. Yeah. yeah. I think you have to be yeah, open and honest with yourself. Is it something you really want to do? Be authentic about it and... Understand, understand, give yourself permission to say, do you know what? This maybe wasn't the best thing for me to do, and it's okay to say it wasn't. It's okay to change that path. Mm. I mean, I've gone from nursery assistant to classroom assistant, special needs, to confectioner, to author and speaker. It's okay for your values to change, for your passion to change. It's not, it's not a case if you failed. And I don't think there is failure. That's the thing I would tell somebody. There's no yes. failure. It's opportunities to learn. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say about the lessons I can speak to that in my own life is all the different situations I've been through and, you know, doing a ton load of different things. The amount of things I've learned about myself yeah. and about other people and how to navigate life yeah. and become better at navigating life as well in a more kinder, more real way. And... Um, I can definitely attest to that. Now, I just want to make reference to one page in your website. You have a wonderful page in your website. And the website is beingvulnerable.co.uk. There's a page in that where there's, I think you call it a gallery. And you have quotations yes. there. Oh, I, love I would recommend, quotes. yeah, I would recommend anyone to check it out because there's wonderful quotations there. I'm just pulling it up here on my computer here now. And you have quotations like, our greatest glory is not in never failing but in rising every time we fail. Yeah, I love a a quote. quote. Yeah, I do. I'm I'm putting together a little thing where, because quotes, you can look at a quote and think, oh, that's so nice, that's lovely. But I I don't have second thoughts. I've got second thoughts, third thoughts, fourth thoughts. And I like to think about what I take from a quote. Mm -hmm. 
So I've started to do a thing where I read a quote and then I'll write down what I've taken from it. Yes. It's a, it's a really, really helpful thing to do, to go, oh, yeah, right enough, you know. And put them up on your wall and frame them beautifully if you're that way inclined yeah. and so on. Yeah, there's beautiful sayings here. So it's again, it's beingvulnerable.co.uk and your book is called Being Vulnerable by Catriona Evans. So you can find it on Amazon and Kindle. So listen, it's been great to have you on the podcast and I know that what you've shared today for somebody who's going through the ups and downs of whether it be depression or some form of self-incrimination or some mental challenge or physical challenge that what you have to say is so true. I can attest to that in my own life in a lesser way, but it's lovely to have you on. And um, beingvulnerable.co.uk. Now you also, um, just before we finish, you also do speaking as well so yeah. where can people reach out to you for speaking talk you can story? you can email me at hello.beingvulnerable23 at gmail.com okay i'll have that in the show notes okay whether they're yeah. listening on audio or video fantastic well listen it's great to have you on and thank you so much for coming on today i've loved it thank you